0: Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord, with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ not by the way of eye service or people pleasers but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality in him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen.
1: Well, it's great to be with you. And uh, as you can see, we're looking today at the subject of spirituality and submission. That's what I'm calling this message, spirituality and submission, from the second half of Ephesians chapter 5 and the start of chapter 6. And this letter is kind of pretty easy to summarise. That is a whole letter, right? The first three chapters are all about things that God has already done the blessings we have in christ chapter one god's grace and reconciliation through the cross chapter two and paul's prayer for the church and his love uh, in god's love in chapter three and then the last three chapters are all about how we respond to what god has already done we pursue unity chapter four holiness chapters four and five spirituality and submission here in chapters five and six and then next week prayer and spiritual warfare at the end of chapter six and in fact the whole of today's section on spirituality and submission is summarized really in just one sentence which in greek and in english in the translation i read runs through from verse 18 to 21 in that one sentence it's a kind of big heavy sentence but paul gives us one thing we mustn't do one thing we must do and four ways we can do it right that's the the structure of the sentence is don't do this do that instead and here's four ways of doing it right there's one thing we mustn't do he says And don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. In other words, that leads to all kinds of sleeping around and nonsense. You mustn't do that. That's how the pagans, Paul would say, seek joy. But you're not supposed to do that. You don't seek joy that way. You seek joy by being filled with the Spirit. We've seen last week that a lot of what Paul's doing in this bit of the letter is to contrast the Christian life with the, the ordinary ways of the pagans in Paul's culture. And the Ephesians culture, he said, don't, don't be like that. You don't pursue joy by just getting drunk and sleeping around. That's, that's not honoring to God, and ultimately it doesn't give you happiness anyway. You seek joy by being filled with the Spirit. And I, I, this is something we actually covered a couple of years back in our Encounter series. I spoke on be filled with the Spirit from this passage and taught, used the analogy of sailing, which I still think is a helpful picture of what it is to be filled with the Spirit. That Paul is saying both, that you need to have an encounter, a power experience with the spirit, but also that you need to develop habits to make that experience more likely to happen. And that the same is true in sailing, actually, that basically when you catch the wind, that is a power encounter with something bigger and more powerful than you. But it's also something that you only get to do if you've developed and cultivated good habits of how to catch the wind and how to understand where it's coming from and how to use the sails to harness its power i think paul's doing the exact same thing in this passage don't get drunk and drunk with wine be filled with the spirit instead and in order to cultivate habits that will cause you to be filled with the spirit and make the most of his filling and his power at work in your life here's four things you should do here's four habits that you need to develop and cultivate to make best use of the mighty glorious joy-bringing power of the holy spirit in your life and so we, we are called both to look for that experience and pray for it and seek and call out to God for the experience of his filling in our lives, but also to develop the kind of habits that make that a regular part of our daily experience. And Paul mentions four in particular. Right? Don't get drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit, and here's four things you can do that will make that a lot easier. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your hearts. That bit with your heart I've noticed is freshly important in the age of masks isn't it? When you sing and make melody to the Lord you may have to do that in your heart because you're physically not even allowed to do it verbally out loud. I just thought that was quite interesting that we're seeing the power of the difference really between addressing each other and singing to the Lord in your heart that there is a difference and those two statements are both Paul is saying important ways of developing joy and being filled with the Spirit. Thirdly giving thanks always and for everything to god the father in the name of our lord jesus christ and fourthly submitting to one another out of reverence for christ so got the the whole sentence right that this is really where paul is going for this whole passage including everything he says about masters and slaves and children and parents and husbands and wives what he's really saying is don't get drunk with wine but be filled with the spirit and that these four habits will lead you there right Addressing each other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart, giving thanks for everything and submitting to one another because you are reverent towards Christ. Now, of those four habits, I'm struck by the fact that three of them sound like they bring joy. Right, Singing, making melody and thanking all sound. Yeah, that's what I'd expect. When I'm filled with the Spirit, I put out my hands to God and say, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. I would expect it to result in and be generated by singing, making melody, and giving thanks. I can totally see the connection there. But for the next 20 verses, Paul focuses on the other one, which is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that one, I must admit, that takes me longer to work out, hang on, what? Why is that connected? What's the connection between spirituality and submission? I totally get that being filled with the Spirit is associated with singing and rejoicing and thanking. Yeah, that sounds lovely. In fact, I really like the idea of those things. But I don't really understand why it's related to submission as it's worked itself out in the context of a Christian household, between a husband and a wife, or a child and a parent, or a slave and a master. I, I don't understand. Why are those things connected? But that's what Paul spends most of this, this passage focusing on. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to focus primarily on the connection between submission and spirituality. And in order to do that, we have to hit two questions head on. The first question is the one I'm already raising, which is, seriously, what is the connection? I don't understand the connection between spirituality and submission. I would expect that submission and spirituality were almost opposites of each other. I would think that spirituality means freedom, going, following your heart, and that submission is all about order and control and power and... so, how on earth is spirituality and submission as closely connected as Paul clearly thinks they are? Why does Paul think submission is a means of being filled with the Spirit, which he seems to? That's the first question we've got to ask. And the second question we've got to ask, which will have occurred to all of us probably as we read this passage, is Is Paul endorsing slavery? Now, oh, we have to ask that question because it sure looks like it if you just read it straight out without any wider considerations. It looks like Paul is saying, is fine. You guys, you should go for it. If you're a master, do this. If you're a slave, do that. But the institution of slavery is no problem. And if Paul is saying that, does that not undermine everything he's saying in this passage and possibly everything he's saying about everything else? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, so we have to ask those. That's a difficult question, but we have to address it because otherwise we'll find ourselves going, wow, this is this just wrong, Right? We're going to start with the first one, but what we'll find is there is actually a close connection between the answers to both of these questions. But let's start with the first one. What on earth is the connection between spirituality and submission? Now, in our culture, I generalize here, but I think most of us think of freedom and submission as opposites. Either you do what you want, which is freedom, authenticity, and maybe even spirituality... Or you let someone else tell you what to do. Submission, power, control. And the tension between them is the plot of every Disney movie. Right? Are you going to be in freedom or are you going to be in submission? And one of them comes with a smile and ah, and the other one comes with a frown and a Burr. And because we think that way, we are inclined to read a, a passage like this and think, this makes no sense. How on earth can Paul think of submission as a means of stepping into the freedom of life in the spirit? What, what is he talking about? Now, What we've got to see is that seeing freedom and submission as opposites is not a biblical picture at all. That's a 21st century Western perspective, which many cultures today don't have, and certainly you don't find in the Bible. Okay, think again about sailing, if you will. I don't, sorry to keep banging on about this image, but I think it can help us. If you're on a boat, being filled with the wind is the most freeing and exhilarating experience imaginable. That is the reason you're there. You didn't get on a sailing boat and spend the day you know togging up and loading the boat off the roof of your car and putting it out to sea driving down to the seaside you didn't do those things so that you could just sit there just flapping around and not going anywhere you did it because you wanted to catch the mighty power of the wind and go somewhere that's the kind of thing you live for but that kind of freedom that kind of experience of being filled with the wind is impossible unless you submit to the power of the wind it just can't be done Right? If you decide that you're going to assert, you're going to do the Disney thing, right? I'm going to assert my mighty power and liberate myself from all constraints here. Ah, ah, ah. I will follow my heart into wherever I want to go. I don't care where the wind's going. I'm going to go over there. You won't go anywhere. You'll look like a fool. Your sail will just flap around and you will do absolutely nothing. In other words, you will not be able to find the freedom you seek if you don't submit to the power of the wind true freedom on a boat when you're truly filled with the wind true spirituality you might say comes as you yield to a greater power than you and look to see where you pay close attention to where the power wants to take you and then you submit joyfully to that power and you sing and make melody in your heart and give thanks as you go that's how you that's how you sail I remember again I make it sound like I'm sailing all the time I haven't been sailing for 20 years but I I did it quite a lot as a young person and I had this experience and up in Northumberland. I was sailing with this sort of salty sea dog of an old man, sort of really rough guy. And uh, we were sailing at just this incredible speed, just cannoning across a lake on a Drascom. And I was, just, which is a kind of seven-seater boat kind of thing. And we're just flying across at this incredible speed. This is the most amazing thing! But I remember at one point, I was like, why do we keep going on the same route? Why, do, why are we going back over there? And I remember saying to this salty sea dog who was in charge, like, why do we keep going over there? Shouting over the wind at the speed. And he said, because it's the only way we can go. And he put an expletive in there, which I won't quote, but he was, I mean, it's the only way we can go. As in, I've learned over my many years of this that if you are going to have the exhilarating, freeing, liberating, powerful experience that we're all here for, you have to learn to submit to where the wind wants to take you. You can't just try and impose yourself on it. And in a sailing boat, submission and freedom effectively are the same thing. Because it's only by submitting yourself that you can access the power that takes you where you really want to go. And it's exactly the same in the Christian life. True spirituality comes as you yield to the greater power of the Lord. And you become attentive to where his spirit wants to take you. And you trust that where he wants to take you is actually good for you. And as you go, you pay close attention to what he's doing and you sing and make melody in your heart and give thanks as you go that's the connection between spirituality and submission true spirituality is impossible without submitting to the lord's every move and one of the ways in which we learn how to do that paul says not the only way but a very important way one of the ways you learn how to submit to the lord is by learning how to submit to one another particularly in the context of a christian household and we've got to remember in the ancient world households often included not just husbands wives fathers and mothers and children but also slaves which is the context here of why paul deals with these six groups of people but paul is saying if you want to be filled with the spirit you that's gonna you're gonna to have to learn submission and to learn submission you're going to see that submitting working out in your marriage in your parenting life in your work life i say so we'll come to slavery in a moment but all of those things are going to be context in which you develop submission and as you do you will learn to submit to the life-giving power of the lord that's the connection between spirituality and submission and when we grasp that point it proves enormously helpful with our second question which is whether paul is endorsing slavery because there's something very radical and subversive about paul's instructions here and i want you to see what it is because this is an important text for many of us in our personal story and it's certainly important for anyone who wants to understand the new testament in this age some people defend paul some people defend paul like this right they would say look slavery was taken for granted in the ancient world. It was like running a society without slaves would be like running a society without electricity today. That's true, by the way. That is true. Some people would say, yeah, so slavery was commonplace in the ancient world. It was also very different from race-based chattel slavery, which is also true. It was completely different. It wasn't based on race at all. Sometimes people sold themselves into slavery deliberately, and you see that if you know anything about Roman society. That wasn't uncommon, it wasn't nice, but it was totally different from what we think of as slavery today. And they'd also say, and even in Paul's day, if you were a runaway slave, you'd probably be killed. And that's also true. So some people would defend Paul by saying, look, if Paul had said slavery is over, everyone's manumitted or freed, it would have led to a lot of dead converts, Right, a lot of his people would have run away from their masters and been killed, and it wouldn't have changed anything. And by the way, I think all of those things are true. But what people then do is they say, so basically Paul didn't object to slavery. He didn't really have anything to say about it. He just accepted it was there and he didn't try and abolish it because that would be like me saying today, all prisoners in the UK are free. It just it doesn't make any sense. And if prisoners try to run away, they might get recaptured or even killed. So, I th- so a lot of people defend Paul by saying he just accepted it as a reality and gave it time. But I don't think... That gives enough credit to the radicalism and the subversive power of what Paul is doing in this passage. Or in 1 Corinthians, when he says slaves should gain their freedom if they can. Or when in Galatians he says there's neither slave nor free in Christ. Or in Philemon, when he specifically tells a friend of his to take back a runaway slave as a brother, not as an inferior. So there's a lot of things Paul says about slavery, and I think he's much more radical than that defense of him, though true, gives him credit for and here's how I would make that case. Sets of rules like the ones we're reading at the moment, uh, household codes, they're often called, are very common in the ancient world. They go right back to Aristotle. And you can, if you read Aristotle's household code, you'll see how totally different it is from Paul's Christ-shaped one. But Aristotle did this. He said, right, husbands and wives, you do this. Fathers and children, you do that. But don't think he mentioned mothers. M- many people didn't. Masters and slaves, you do like this. And Paul uses that structure, but then he fills it with Christian content. He does two unprecedented things in the process. The first thing he does is he insists that everybody, including husbands and fathers and masters, the patriarch people, everybody, all six of those groups, must yield to and submit to the Lord their master. And in Greek, the word Lord and master are the same. So when you say, masters submit to the Lord, you're actually saying, lords submit to the Lord, or masters submit to the master. And he goes through all of them and he says, husbands, Your marriage is under the lordship of Christ. You're not the boss of your wife. He is. Love your wives then as Christ loved the church. He says, fathers, you've got to bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, not yours, right? You as a dad are not the ultimate boss around here. Jesus is. He says to masters, masters, you stop your threatening because you've got a master as well. And you are his slave and he is your master or your lord. I don't know who you think, why you're throwing your weight around to try and get the better over your slaves. You and your slave are both slaves of a much higher master and he's the boss of both of you and he doesn't show partiality towards you. So you watch it. So he says in each of those cases, he's saying, patriarchs, right? Men at the top of the social pile in Paul's day. You are not on top of the pyramid. Christ is on top of the pyramid. You are his slaves and he's your master. Pack it in and demonstrate Christ-like love and service towards those who are in your care. That's the first radical thing he does. And the second radical thing he does, which is even more outrageous, is he says not only do all of these people need to yield to Christ, but all of them, including the patriarchs, need to yield to one another, including their, quote, social inferiors. You are, verse five, chapter 5, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's not just that you're submitted to Jesus, it's that you're submitted to one another because of your submission to Jesus. Not just the wives, the children and the slaves submit, everybody submits, including you. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You don't get husbands to command your wife so she can serve you. You have to serve her by laying your life down for her, which is exactly what Christ did. Husbands, you have to give up your life for your wife. Slaves, obey your earthly masters, serving with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. And so far, every ancient person's going, hmm, yes, and all modern people are going, what, why is he saying that? And then he says in verse 9, chapter 6, verse 9, masters do the same to them. That is one of the most radical sentences Paul ever wrote. Slaves... You need to submit to your masters as if you were working for Jesus. And masters, you have to do the exact same thing to your slaves. You have to submit to them. You have to serve them as you submit to Christ. You need to serve your slaves. You need to follow in the footsteps of the foot-washing saviour. So no, I do not think that Paul, who was the first to say that in Christ there's neither slave nor free, I don't think Paul was endorsing slavery. I think Paul accepted to a degree that this is a reality of the system of his world. In fact, it wouldn't have made any sense not to do that. And all of the reasons I've mentioned already, they are true. But what he was not doing was saying, this system is absolutely fine. What he was doing was providing theological dynamite into the system by saying, ultimately, if you understand what it means to follow Jesus, you'll realize that that involves masters serving slaves, just as slaves currently serve masters. And that's going to blow the whole thing up from the inside. He is not endorsing slavery as much as he is applying the subversive power of the gospel to it with effects that would and did explode it from the inside out. And so there is a powerful reason to see a connection between spirituality and submission and there's a powerful reason to see that paul was not in this context endorsing slavery as much as he was actually providing theological explosive that would destroy it from within over the course of the next few centuries but we mustn't miss what paul's main point was i think that's an important detour to make but ultimately that's not paul's main point here paul's main point is that we are to be filled with the spirit rather than being drunk filled with wine and that that happens in part through Christ-shaped submission to other people in households, workplaces, relationships, churches, and so on. It starts in households. That's where, as children, we learn to submit, isn't it? We learn to submit to the instructions or needs or preferences of other family members. And that, as we learn submission at a young age in a family, that the focus of our submission gradually gets transferred from our parents or even our siblings to the Lord, And it's like being a a child, learning submission at home is like practicing scales if you're playing the piano. Just like learning over and over again. This is how I develop the skill that one day is going to enable me to to go sailing in the wind of the spirit. So when my son explodes at me because he's annoyed that he, he wants to play football, but his sister wants to go to the zoo and he's very angry, he can't do what he wants. He is learning submission, isn't he? He's learning to defer to or yield to another family member. And that life lesson is crucial for him because one day that deference and that yielding is going to need to happen to the Holy Spirit because of the gift of the Lord rather than to a family member. So it's a lesson that always happens in households, not just as a child, but it carries on being learnt in households as we grow up. If I'm sharing a flat and I have to do the washing up again because my flatmate hasn't done it, I am serving him or her in such a way as to develop that posture of submission and yieldedness and deference to another person so that ultimately I'm developing a skill that's going to help me submit to the Lord. We learn it in the workplace. If we have a bad boss we have to learn what slaves in the ancient world had to cope with which is that our work is ultimately not for them but for the Lord. If on the other hand you're a boss, you're a master in, in a sense, in a modern sense and you manage people, you have to learn what masters did in the ancient world which is that leadership is ultimately patterned on the footwashing saviour and that means the leader, if they are Christian, is going to spend more time washing up cups and possibly washing up toilets than the average employee does, not less. Because that's what leadership looks like when you follow Jesus. We learn it in marriage. Yielding to my husband as the church does to Christ or yielding to my wife, laying my life down for her as Christ does for the church so that she might be holy and blameless, which is her true destiny. And in all of those contexts, submitting to others develops a posture and a heart habit of submission to christ which ultimately is what being filled with the spirit is all about so what happens is you are working things out in your marriage or your workplace or your relationship with your parents is you are developing and it's hard it's painful but you are developing submission habits that are going to help you and do already are helping you submit to the mighty power of the holy spirit and where he wants to take you in life and it's interesting that of of Paul's four ways of being filled with the Spirit, COVID has made the first one, singing to one another out loud, impossible for now. But it's also made the last one, submission to people in your household, much more prominent because we've spent much more time with our households in the last year than we normally do. Most of us, I expect, enjoy singing a lot more than we enjoy submitting to the people in our household. Improvising is much more fun than playing scales studying sailing theory is much less enjoyable than being out on the open ocean with the wind full of sail sail full of wind rather but paul knows that true spirituality requires submission and so he teaches us how to pursue it in the context of the households and the workplaces in which we find ourselves be filled with the spirit brothers and sisters submitting to one another out of reverence for christ let's pray father i ask for your help for all of my brothers and sisters listening to this message, Lord, none of us find this easy. We may sometimes find it easy to be thankful or to sing, but there are few of us, if probably none of us, who find it easy to yield our preferences. Mm-hmm. To those in our homes and our workplaces as a means of being trained to yield to your spirit lord we need your help we pray that you would fill us with your spirit precisely so that we can submit to one another so that we might be more submitted to your spirit and then you'd fill us again lord we pray for the power of being filled by your divine life and enthusiasm and joy on the open sea but we pray that you'd also give us the skills and the habits we need to make best use of that great power as you blow into our lives, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.